step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height Welcome back to Hat Radio. This is Avram Rosenzweig. I should say actually Hat Radio, a.k.a. Corona Radio, Coronavirus Radio. For a little while there, once the uh, virus started, it's a terrible trek, I decided that I was going to shift over and call the show uh, Corona Radio. Um, I think that's had its play, uh, and it's likely time to move on from that and switch back to what I was doing before, which is Hat Radio. So I want to welcome all of my listeners. It's great to have you back. Uh, we took a couple weeks hiatus in order just to, I guess, use my energy for what's required uh, during these times, which are very uh, perilous times. And I want to, uh, first off, wish everybody well. I hope that everybody's doing okay. Um, I think we're about five or six weeks into isolation and from what I hear, from what I understand, many people are getting a little bit wonky. And I certainly understand that. It's not easy at all to be contained in an environment which could be 600 square feet, could be a 1,000. Maybe you're lucky, maybe you have 5,000 square feet. But that being said, it's unusual for all of us. And I think that um, we're all adjusting in the way that we are, as some people are having an easier time. Other people are having a most difficult time. So I wish everybody well. I think the bottom line is that if you are one of those who's having an extremely difficult time, or even just a difficult time, make sure to be in touch with others. Be it through old-fashioned ways, shouting out the window. <laughs> be it through the telephone or the internet is likely the device of your choice. I think it's crucial, crucial that we do not remain islands at this time. So reach out, talk to people, and there are also numbers to call, which we've talked about before, if you're having some very serious problems. Do not say to yourself, I'm going to be okay, if there's a voice inside of you that's convinced that this is real rough. Make sure to call those numbers. 911 is the obvious one. I uh, want to welcome my guest today. Her name is Rachel Gomara. Rachel, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Now, Rachel is speaking to us all the way from Israel. She was born in Israel. Her family, her parents live here in Toronto. Her father's a very auspicious educator, Rabbi Shlomo Gomorrah, who's a lovely man, very bright. And um, Rachel is an extraordinary human being who is a nurse and who decided to volunteer at Sharitetic in the coronavirus wing or area in Jerusalem when COVID-19 became uh, something to worry about. It's interesting, Rachel, that you decided to volunteer. I think you were saying in an article that in Italy, they had to convince people to join those departments, whereas in Israel, people just step forward to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that in Italy, it got to a point where they had to, to convince people to do it so that there, there will be enough staff because the healthcare system was so overwhelmed. But um, in Israel, um, they didn't. I didn't. 
I don't think they had to do that. Everybody who wanted to be there uh, was there. I really, I just found the work, I thought it would be interesting and I think the work is really important and I know a lot of people were scared to do it. I just, the I saw it as a national calling, like there's a global crisis happening and people, healthcare workers are needed to to fight this and we need to be on the front lines and that's, I just thought that it was important work and if we're called up for something to help our country, then we we need to do it. So just as someone who would be called up to the Tzava, to the IDF, um, this yeah. is in your yeah. own way was being called up as well. Right. Did you ever regret your decision? Not at all. I'm, I'm very happy that I went for it. Initially, I think there was space for 20 or 30 patients. Now they've built another, another wing or another area where more patients uh, can be taken care of, right? I was on the first wing. We were 20 patients. Um, then they, it grew to five or six units, and we treated uh, 110 patients like at a time. There was 110 beds. What, what sort of schedule would you have? Uh, I have 12-hour shifts and three days a week, but I, was in, I, I ended up doing four just because I had to cover for nurses that had to go into isolation or anything like that. So, yeah, 12-hour shifts and... The work inside is kind of interesting. Like we have our main headquarter kind of room. And then we have like the actual unit where the patients are, where we have to gear up with all the protective gear when we go in. So it's split up between the those two things. At what point of the 12 hours do you start getting exhausted? I don't know that at any point. I'm, I'm just working through it. Like when 12 hours are finished, I, I feel like it, it goes by very quickly. When you come home, are you bagged? Yeah, I'm pretty tired when I get home. So what would you do when you get home? What time do you get home? Um, Like 8 p.m. and eat something and then go to sleep. And what yeah. time are you up the next morning? Um, It depends. Like if I'm not working, I could get up whenever I want. Right. Now you also, you live in Jerusalem, you work in Jerusalem. How, how do you get to work every day? Um, I have an electric bike. So do I. When did you get one? Um, a year ago. Don't you love it? It's the best thing ever. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm also happy. Do you go yeah, really I, as fast as you can? Yeah, I do. And you wear a helmet? I wear a helmet, yeah. It's really fun. Have you ever had any problems? Because I know the traffic in Israel can be a little bit dicey. Not, not a, no. Okay, I'm pretty good. careful. So. so so, you decided to volunteer at Sharetzetic in the coronavirus wing. And you were privy, you were frontline, you are frontline to what's happening, the scourge, if you will, in our world. It's a global pandemic. I don't think there's a country that's not being touched at this point. Mm -hmm. I guess in simplest terms, what does the coronavirus look like to you? I guess the way that it affects patients is it's mostly respiratory, the the disease. Um like there's there's almost always fever, coughing, chest pain, and um, difficulty breathing. So a lot of people that already have other diseases or conditions like diabetes, hypertension, obesity. So for them, it makes it even harder to breathe. So they're usually the ones that are suffering the most and also people that are elderly. 
I mean, it's mostly they, the most of the care that they need. It's not really medications or anything like that, but it's just oxygen support or any kind of respiratory support. And also it, they don't look like they're having trouble breathing, but when you check their oxygen levels, you see that they're extremely low. And then they all of a sudden like deteriorate very, very quickly. And you wouldn't even be able to, it's not something that you would see directly. So you really have to keep an eye on them, especially. As a nurse, do you have expectations or do you think to yourself, okay, I have X amount of patients, they're going to die. Does that does that occur to you or is it the opposite, like we can save these people? Most people recover from it. Um, yeah, the death is definitely an exception. It does happen. It's usually people that um, have are, are much older that have other diseases. Th- there are people that really do suffer a lot. And really struggle a lot and they're definitely at risk. But, you know, the care that we give them is is very good. So you know, they're able to recover. But it, it definitely is a long recovery. And the process takes a long time. Rachel Gamora is a nurse at Charts at a hospital in Jerusalem. She volunteered uh, to join the, uh, is it called a department or a wing? What would be appropriate? It's a good question. It's like a unit, I would say. A unit. There we go. That's a good word. Um, to help those people who are suffering from coronavirus. Now, you have a, a very unique perspective, I think, on this virus, on this pandemic. I see it from my home. I live in Toronto at Shepherd and Bathurst. You know the neighborhood, right? Sure. And I kind of sense it and see it from what I read on the Internet. Thank God there's nobody in my building who's been affected by it. I know some people who have been, but again, most of our community is okay. So when I ask you, what does the coronavirus look like? You are there in the front lines. You're taking care of people who are infected. I'm assuming you probably have a fear of being infected. Would that be correct? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I'm very much, I couldn't, I'm as close as possible to the people that have this virus. And even with the protective gear, you know, if, if I'm not careful, I can definitely get infected if I'm if I'm not following the protocol 100% or if when I'm removing the protective gear, something gets on my face, you know, it's, we have to be very careful. And, and there has, there have been staff um, that have gotten infected. Thank God, Charitetic, like, it's quite like low the numbers. In other hospitals around the world, it, it happens. And it's definitely a risk that I'm taking. I don't, I, I'm not scared in the sense that I, I'm scared I'm going to have it. I'm scared, I'm more scared that I'm going to pass it on to someone, and then that person passes it on to someone who's at risk. But um, young people aren't, you know, if I get it, I know that I'm going to be fine, you know, so I'm, that's not the fear. It's the fear is passing it on to someone who for them, it won't be it could be lethal. You know, I'm fascinated by the genesis of this pandemic. Can you imagine, mm-hmm. Rachel, that somewhere in China, uh, now we're saying it's a marketplace, live animal marketplace, there was a fellow or a family who had certain animals and that animal was a carrier of this virus and someone came along and either bought that animal or bought a piece of food from him and got the virus and then boom, here we are today with close to 4 million people affected. I mean, that's a mesmerizing idea, isn't it? It's crazy, sure. It's like surreal. Isn't it? It really is. Are you surprised at all? I know that in Israel, there have been 16,000 cases to date. There have been close to 11,000 who have recovered. Obviously, the others are still sick. 
239 deaths. Did you suspect there would be more or less in Israel based on the culture of the country? It's a small country. People are kind of packed in, right? There's a lot of people right. in our neighborhoods. I I thought there would be more death probably. Um based on what we were seeing happening in Italy, I thought I know that we have we do have a lot of elderly people and once it, it reached the old age homes, um, that was definitely a fear of of many people. But um, 16,000, it, it's actually, I'm surprised it's not more than that. So I think that's pretty good that we managed to keep it quite low. I, I know there have been some challenges in the uh, Haredi community, the very ultra-Orthodox communities, because, again, there are so many people per square foot, really, uh, right. the, the, the places are very small. I've been in B'nai Brock. I've been in other, you know, areas in the country where the Haredi community lives. And uh, they are indeed packed in. They really are. And so much of what they do is community-based and oriented. Just Shabbat alone, you know, if you take Hasidic groups and they're with their rabbi, you could have 200, 300, 400, 500 people in a room. Do you find that the Hasidic community or the Haredi community proportion of them within your hospital is greater, those who are being affected by, by the coronavirus? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could definitely see that. It, it, I mean, I think at one point, my entire unit was just Haredi patients. And also, I'm in Jerusalem. So that's, they're already a very high percentage of the population. So it just made sense that when, if, when this happened, it affected their community, that they were going to be hospitalized in in Shari I mean, the fascinating thing about the care that you're giving in the hospital is so much of it is virtual. I was reading about how, you know, you monitor people's um, vital signs sort of off-site in another room. So I'm assuming, therefore, it's probably a bit easier in that way to take care of your Haredi patients because there's less having physical contact, right? Yes and no. I mean, I was treating Haredi patients before. Like if it's medical care, they don't, you know, they don't care that it's, if I have to give them a shot or something, they didn't really care before. Like it's very rare that I had issues. Like if it's for a medical issue, they they know that halakhically, um, it doesn't matter. One of the things that's fascinating about I guess Israel in general and more specifically in the hospital where you work and other hospitals around the country is the moderately affected coronavirus patients are taking care of the severely affected. There's, I think this may have been a quote from you. They're almost like surrogate nurses, right? Uh, I didn't say that, but um, yeah, it's definitely something that I've seen quite a bit, um, which was re really, really impressed me a lot. We had um, in the beginning, there's... Be in Israel now, all the hotels are empty. So Misrat Abriut, the health ministry, they saw that, you know, not all the patients need to be hospitalized. It's not necessary. And it's just taking up beds for patients that really do need a hospital bed. So they moved a lot of these patients to hotels. And we were there in the quite in the beginning before the hotels were an option. So these there was a lot of young patients and they, they were relatively healthy, I would say. Like they didn't, they had very mild symptoms. And, uh, you know, they, they just needed to be there because they had the coronavirus and they couldn't be at home. So we, we kind of like trained them how to take blood pressure, how to take temperature. And then they just started doing it for all the other patients, anyone that needed help. And they just did, every, you know, they just did a lot of stuff for us, um, like, which was amazing also. But 
we didn't even have to ask them. Like they would help other patients eat and give them food and give them water and um, help them with the oxygen. And they, you know, they really just felt like, you know, they took on a, another role as patients and also as caretakers. I think, Rachel, that's the thing that people love about Israel, whether it's the army or whether it's just in a regular community, is that it truly is a, it truly is a community, right? Yeah, it's like your family. Here in Toronto, if one would go to Sunnybrook or North York General, the idea of one patient taking the blood pressure of another one, the nurses would be up in arms. But in Israel, say, listen, we're a small country. I need your help. And the other person goes, that's great. Here I am. <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah, it really is like that. I printed up an article. I think it's out of a community-based uh, newsletter, and it reads as follows. Gamora credits the other patients, those with mild symptoms, as holding down the fort. Emphasizing with the nurses need to maintain distance, the moderate patients have become surrogate caregivers for the older, more critical ones. Ah, so that could have been paraphrased. You said they're on the inside and we're on the outside. The younger patients help the older ones to call their families, readjust the oxygen mask, or fluff their pillows. They're like angels. It's heartwarming to watch. It's a beautiful statement. Thank you. Who, where is that from? It's that a, I printed it up, I believe, from a community, like a B'nai B'rith community newspaper. Oh, that's so interesting. I wonder who, I think I know who wrote that, but I, I'm not, I have to look that up. I'm right. not sure. Right. So the coronavirus is young and a man comes into the hospital. He's 88 years old. He's a survivor of the Holocaust from Hungary. He hid from the Nazis and his name is Arya Evans and he's very ill. He's older. He didn't last for long. Uh, March 20th, he passed away. You were the first nurse, first caregiver, who was with the first individual who died from the coronavirus in Israel, right? Correct. What was he like? What was he like? What was Arye like? Yeah. He was very. He was a very sweet man. He he was in an old age home when he when he got to the hospital. He you know it was it was very hard for him. He couldn't. His family couldn't be there. His kids, his caretaker couldn't be there. And he really struggled with that isolation, especially because of his age. And also, I think being like having gone through the Holocaust, I think you ought, these kind of tough situations maybe bring you back those memories, traumatic memories. And it was we were very it was hard. It was hard for us because, you know, medically his condition wasn't very good. And also with the isolation, it was very hard. And his kids were constantly calling me and wanted to get updates. You know, it was really a huge blessing that the patients that were there with him, they really took it on themselves to take care of him. And they really wanted to be there for him and help out however they could that, you know, they were doing like the FaceTime calls with his with his kids so he can talk to them. Uh, they really looked out for him a lot and they were visiting him constantly. They really wanted him to feel like he's not alone. Would they call you on your cell phone? Uh, not No, they have inside, they all have next to them a phone with a screen like and a camera so it's like a video phone conference kind of thing like we can automatically see who we're talking to rachel did you have a chance to schmooze with arye at all a little bit we 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 would chat here and there when i when i was taking care of him but we didn't not to the point that we were like talking about our family history or anything like that did you get a sense of his essence from what I gather, he, he was a very kind person and very caring. 
I don't know that we had a chance to speak so much. It was mostly just also talking to his kids. I feel like I got an essence of who he was. And, you know, definitely someone that loved life. And, you know, I, I could tell that he, he knew that the situation was bad. He knew that he, him getting the virus was pr- probably going to be, it could very well be the end of his life. And he, I think that he, I don't know, like it, it was obviously very, it was a very difficult situation. For him and for you. For sure. Yeah. What's it like when you go through situations like that? I, I can't imagine what what your job entails in terms of life and death situations. Uh, yeah, I mean it's difficult. I I was I came from oncology, so I'm kind of used to challenging situations and patients passing away and patients that are young, you know, families having to say goodbye. Uh, but this was a whole new set of challenges because it's a it's a new disease. We don't really know a lot about it. And it's, we're constantly hearing about it on the media. We had to readjust our entire lives because of this virus. And here I am being the one that's on the front lines. Like I'm the closest to it as possible. So yeah. And also just see, like knowing what's going on around the world, how, like the death toll and everything. Um, it really, you know, we're constantly thinking about that and like, where is this going and what's going to happen in Israel? So it's a very scary situation. March 20th arrived. It was a Friday night. What what happened? So it was, uh, I, I started my shift at 7 p.m. And um, we the patients that are there, most of them are, like I said, they're pretty healthy and they had mild symptoms. So they would get together. They set up a table in the middle of the, the unit and had Friday night Shabbat dinner together. And Arya Evan is in, is in his room. His room is actually right next to where they were sitting for Shabbat. And he's connected to a monitor. Um, and we can see him on the screen. I could see that he's not, he doesn't look so well, but he's, he's stable, more or less. They, all, all of a sudden, like the machine, the monitor starts beep, beeping. He had a heart arrhythmia. And the other patients that were there, they saw, they, they could see that something was going on. They were constantly visiting him throughout the meal. But this was already at the end of the meal and they could see that his monitor was beeping and they went next to him and they saw that he's, it's basically the end of his life. They could tell by the way that he was breathing that, you know, this, this is probably the end. And he really did, he went in peace and they, the patients that were there, you know, they really comforted him and they said Schmeisser L with him and they were really there, you know, at the most critical moments. I was outside and I just saw the entire thing like on a monitor screen. The nurse and doctor that I was working with, they rushed in, you know, to be there and see what was going on and what, you know, they didn't know at the time that he he had passed away, but they knew that something was going on. So by the time they got there, they saw that he passed away. But um, we were very, very lucky that we had patients that were there and that were aware of the situation and were there to be there when he passed away. You said he had tears streaming down his eyes. I think I said I had tears streaming. Do you normally cry when a patient dies? No, not. I mean, sometimes I do, but not. Ev- I can't. I mean, I can't say that every single time, but um, that I definitely cried a lot when he, when he passed away. What? Why so much? I think I was just very emotional. It made me very sad. I think also, you know, my grandparents are also Hungarian descent. So that um, really, you know, the familiarity very much resonated. And 
I also having no, knowing that I was going to be the one that has to be, you know, taking care of his body after he passed away. And it was, and it's a whole new, that was also like a whole special procedure because of the Corona. So that, that was also very difficult for me and knowing that we're going to be the last ones to take care of him because, you know, there, there's special restrictions for the Chabra Kadisha and, they 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 would they weren't able to do the tara because it would be too risky for the Khabar Kadisha. so uh that was also a whole other aspect of it which was very difficult to deal with um so i guess maybe that's also why i was very emotional yeah i understand i understand the Khabar Kadisha, we should say is it's like the burial team it's the people who come after someone passes mm-hmm. away and they prepare the body for death and there's right. a lot of ritual that's involved, but from an emotional point of view, this is something that you didn't normally do. And certainly women do not do the Hever Kadisha work for men and vice versa. But in this case, you were called upon to do it. I, I can only imagine how difficult that was. Right. And it's not even something that I was trained to do. Yeah, like right. anytime that, and it's not something I've ever had to do. I've, I've been in oncology nurse for 10 years and I've, We've prepared bodies all the time, but I'm never the last person to be prepared. You know what I mean? For that, it's not, I'm never the one passing it on to, to burial. It's always going through Hever Kadisha. And this was the first time that it wasn't. So that obviously emotionally was a huge deal. And having that responsibility, knowing that I have, this is kind of on me and the other nurse I was working with, it was very, very impactful. And, um, it was it was tough. I can imagine. And the interesting component of the Hever Kadisha work is that you quite literally ask the person who passed away for forgiveness, right? You ask them for forgiveness if, God forbid, you had done something in that preparation which may have hurt them or offended them. Right. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, I had I had remembered that part from a funeral that I've been to probably years ago. And then when I was there doing what, you know, pre- preparing the body, I remembered that the Chavar Kadisha says that. And, you know, it, it obviously felt very relevant to the, what I was doing at that moment. Um, so it was definitely something I was thinking about at the time. So Rachel, when you look back, are you grateful for this opportunity? Are you overwhelmed? at how difficult it is, would you ever consider selling houses instead of being a nurse, <laughs> knowing what your responsibilities are? Uh, not at all. Uh, I feel like the work that I'm doing is very meaningful and it's very re- rewarding. I feel vi- very good about the work that I'm doing. I think that it suits me and I do enjoy it. I, you know, I've, I got to see a lot of people recover and it's amazing. And it's an incredible feeling knowing that I had some part in that. And also the patients that pass away, you know, which did happen. And obviously I work in oncology, so it happens quite often, unfortunately. And knowing that I was there in the, the last days of someone's life and, you know, was able to alleviate their suffering or their pain in some way. You know, it also it gives me a lot of comfort knowing that I have, you know, that kind of the opportunity to be part of that. So that being said, do you have an incredible embrace of life? Do you live for every moment? I guess. I don't know. I don't really think of it 
I try to. I mean, I I I love life, but I don't know that I feel like I take those experiences with me home necessarily. I once asked a rabbi, "How many people have you buried?" I believe it was Rabbi Phil Scheim at the Beth David Synagogue here in Toronto, and his number was somewhere in the area of two thousand. So I asked him, I said, do you feel like ghosts are following you around? And his response was, absolutely. And I asked him to explain that. And his explanation was that while he embraces life and while he lives life, he also has a sense of the other side, you know, because he's seen so many people pass away. He's been with a number of people who died, took their last breath. And that stayed with me because I was with my mother when she died. And I was with my aunt when she passed away. And you've been with many people who have died because many of them are stage four when they come into your unit. My, my, my guess is you, you must have a sense of both sides, of life and death. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's like the circle of life. You know, it's just an, an inevitable part of life that we all have to experience at some point. And... You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something painful or something, you know, necessarily difficult. And, you know, it's just a part of life. And it we have to accept that and try to do whatever we can to make sure it's as peaceful as possible. Rachel, because you have this interesting perspective, you would be considered one of those people who's on the front lines. You would be one of those people whom... Others get out on their balcony at 7.30 here in Toronto or at various different times in Israel, and they sing and they dance and they smash pots and pans together, being so thankful for your work. Yeah, just curious, when you hear about those things or when you actually are listening to the songs and the appreciation and you see people holding up signs, you being the nurse, you being right there when it happens, what? how does that hit you? How does that appreciation hit you? It's a great feeling. I'm very, we're very happy for it. You know, I definitely feel like getting the support from the community, from our country, from leaders around the world. It's, it's a very good feeling. On Yom Atzimut, uh, here in Israel on Independence Day, there's always an air show, like an acrobatic air force air show every year. They usually do it on the beach. And this year they did it above, they went from the north to the south above every hospital in Israel to say thank you to the medical staff. And that really warmed my heart. Yeah. And it was stunning. Like we all got to go to the roof and get to see the, an air show right above us. And it was like an amazing experience. You know, it's interesting from all the stuff that you've told me today and to our listeners, it, it's pretty clear that you're a very passionate Zionist. You're not just Rachel Gamora, the nurse who goes to work every day. Like, as you said before, there's a real calling behind your work. Yeah, I, I do. I definitely love Israel a lot, and I'm I'm very Zionistic. I very I feel very connected. I feel like we're all part of this network together, and I I don't feel that when I'm in Toronto and and here it's 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 like we all have the same goals. We're all part of the same nation, and we care about each other, and we help each other out. And I really do see that, and it's it's uh, it's definitely with this, this whole coronavirus pandemic. I've I've seen it even more. Rachel, in closing, I wonder if you have uh, a final thought for people who are listening to this show who are at home isolated by themselves, at home isolated by themselves as a senior, as a younger person, at home with four or five or six children, 
and a spouse, a partner, uh, people are struggling. They really are. And some of them haven't been out for weeks. What message do you have for them? Yeah, it's very hard. I'm a very social person. So for me, the isolation is, is also has been very hard. There's friends I haven't seen in weeks. Fortunately, I do get to go to work. So that's, that's definitely kept me going. But I think the message is that, you know, you have to, you have to hold on, onto it. You, there's a bigger picture. We're all part of this network of humanity together. Everyone has to do their part for us to get through this as quickly as possible and as safely uh, as possible with as few possible casualties. And you have to remember that it's going to be over. It is going to end eventually. We don't know exactly when, but it is going to be over. And just to stay together if you're if you're having a hard time you know there thank god for technology there are ways to connect with people and it is really so important and it's made a huge difference in my life for sure i think just remember that we're all part of this we're all going through this together we're going to get through it together we just have to remember that it's going to be over and just try to do whatever you can to stay strong In that light, what message would you like to send out to your colleagues, the doctors, the nurses, those who clean up the rooms? Man, you've seen it all. You've seen these people working really hard in very, very difficult situations. Wouldn't it be special for you to send out a message to them? When we're at work, we're joking around. We're having a good time. We're just, that's kind of the things that get us through it. Maybe it's just an Israeli thing of Israelis making jokes to get through the hard times. Or a Jewish thing, you know. I'm I'm very proud of that to be a healthcare worker and working with these other people that everyone's giving from themselves. I feel I feel very privileged, and I think I, everybody in the healthcare system feels that way. That you know, we get to see people that really bring bring their all to work. All the sacrifices that we've made, you know. I just feel like you know we can pat ourselves on the back. We're doing a great job, and I, I don't know. I never had to give out a message like this to other healthcare workers because I work with them all the time. So. There's like nothing that needs to be said because we're all in it and we just support each other all the time. Well, you're a very cool person, Rachel. Very cool what you're doing and your passion for it and your love of your work and humankind and Israel and the Jewish people. So, kolakavo to you. All the power to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Rachel Gamara, who is a nurse in Israel at Jerusalem Shari Tzedek Hospital. She volunteered right up front when the coronavirus came our way to help out in the unit dealing specifically with coronavirus patients. And she was the one who was there when Arya Evan passed away, uh, the first person to die of the coronavirus in Israel at 88 years old, a Holocaust survivor from Hungary. So, Rachel, thank you again. Uh, We embrace you from here in Toronto and across the world. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, your story was highly inspirational. And I want to thank you myself for giving me the time to have this schmooze um, because I think it's My extremely pleasure. poignant. like they say in Yiddish. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. My friends, you have been listening to Hat Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank Tony Alberga and his family for helping to sponsor the show as well as Mark Reif and family. Um, we have a lot of great interviews to come. And I would ask you, please, to take a look at hatradio.ca for past interviews. I think we've done a pretty good job to date. And uh, as Rachel Gamara said, hopefully the pandemic will be done soon. We will get through this. We will get over it. And we will because we are humankind. We are those folks 
who found a remedy and a cure for diseases which were killing thousands. We're the ones who sent someone to the moon, and guess what? We're now looking at Mars and even further. So have lots of hope, have lots of faith, try to enjoy yourself, schedule your time, do what you're passionate about. If you always wanted to write a book, now is the time. Rachel, are you going to write a book? Um, I'm thinking about it. Oh, are you? I want to document the experiences that I've had you know, in some way and other nurses and doctors. So maybe, I don't know if a book, but something. All right, folks, once again, you're listening to Hat Radio, just a Jewish guy trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Uh, have a beautiful day. Stay inside, wear gloves and masks, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig, sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the hat.